Well, it's my honor. Thank you, Matt Wolf. Thank you, Rob Steed, a good friend. And of course, George, for that introduction. You gave it away, the story. Well, here it comes. I don't want to waste any time. I know my time is short. Therefore, I want to honor the room. I want to honor our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And since the men behind me just brought us to church, I'm going to continue that thread. Would you agree? But here's the shock statement. My name is Matthew Mayer, and I was sadly responsible for taking a man's life. Probably not the best way to start a testimony, some would suggest. Or is it? See, the Word of God actually was written by individuals who also were responsible for recklessly taking life. Moses, David, Saul, who became Paul. Now, that is absolutely not a qualification to be used by God. But here's the punchline. You ready for it? It's obviously not enough to disqualify someone from being used by God. And that's why I'm here. See, God is not looking for great people. You want to know why? There are none. He's looking for any man who is willing to make him great. And that's been my mission statement. I pray, oh Lord, make much of yourself through me. Well, how did I end up doing something reckless? Well, I was raised in a strong Christian household. I'm one of four boys. I'm the baby. My mother and father didn't just raise us in church. I believe they raised us in Christ. And I think there's a big difference. They trained up their children in the way that we should go so that when we were older, we would not depart from that foundation. But here's the point. I knew the word of God intellectually. I don't know if I was living the word of God experientially. I knew that Jesus said, hey, those that hear my word and do my word, I'll liken them unto a man who builds his house upon the what? The rock. Storms of life come, hit on that house. It does not fall. And then he said, conversely, one who hears my word but doesn't do my word is like a man who built his house on sand. Same storms, hits that house. Great is its fall. Now, here's the interesting thing. I actually had a mixture of the two. I believe there was a foundation of rock beneath my feet. But over time, because of hype and pride, I began to build a beautiful sandcastle on that rock foundation. Oh, you should have seen it. One of these pictures is a demonstration of that sandcastle. It's my first professional start in North Carolina. We played against... Mexican powerhouse Cruz Azul in front of thousands of fans. That game was actually nationally televised. Now, most people love that picture. They applaud that picture. They esteem that picture. The world honors that picture. But what they don't see, nor did I see at the time, why? Look at me. The elevation, jumping pretty high. But what you don't see, what's lifting me up, is pride. Pride, the Proverbs say, goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride, pride was blinding at this time in my life. So yeah, I was part of Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Athletes in Action. I would attend the chapels before the game. I'd pray if you'd ask me, hey, what are you doing with your gift that God gave you? I'd say, I'm giving him glory, but that was a lie because I was giving me glory. And sadly, on March 1st, 2009, the last pro soccer game I would ever play in Philadelphia, in the Spectrum, tore my ACL, my meniscus. 
two ligaments in my right knee went down. They, of course, assessed the damage, scheduled the surgery for March 12th, 11 days later. There I was in limbo. Friday night, instead of staying in, decided to go out and about in the city of Philadelphia. My brother was on my team and he urged me to keep my head above the waters. Knowing he had gone through injuries in his career as well, he was also playing professional soccer. But I didn't heed his advisements. I believe there were times in my life where the Lord was trying to speak to me through people, but I didn't have ears to hear. And here's why, because pride, pride is not just blinding. Pride will keep you deaf from hearing the voice of truth. I'm going to speed up. I went out on that night, March 6th, melted into March 7th. I unfortunately was responsible for the at-fault drunk driving fatality, which resulted in a man's death. His name was Hortcat, 55-year-old man from Cambodia. Woke up to the next, the next day to a nightmare. Could not believe that my decisions had not just imploded my life, exploded somebody else's life. Of course, time's not going to allow me to get into some of the nuance of that. I hope you hear my heart. The emotions, the guilt, the shame, the pain, that sandcastle came crashing down. But not a cliche to say that when Christ is the rock at the bottom, regardless of you hitting rock bottom, you understand what I'm saying? The only thing I can control in the next 10 months before my sentencing day I would stand before a judge, New Jersey, comes with what's called NERA, No Early Release Act. I was sentenced to first degree aggravated manslaughter. I was looking at up to 10 to 30 years in state prison. Something I would have never imagined going from that world to eventually what I call hell on earth. Sentencing day came quick. I'm thankful for parents who loved the Lord and who praised him, even though when times weren't good, they knew that God was always good and faithful. And even in times of loss, like our brother said, God is still faithful. The night before my sentencing, my parents had family and friends over. They had a devotional. I don't remember too much about any of those conversations, but I do remember the prayer that my mother prayed. She prayed a prayer, and in the midst of the prayer, she quoted Proverbs 21.1. She said, Father, tomorrow we believe the king's heart is in your hand. The judge's heart is in your hand. This family's heart is in your hand. And like the rivers of water, you will turn those hearts whichever way you will. So we will wipe away the tears tomorrow and give you glory. She asked for peace. She said, amen. I slept like a baby on March 6th, knowing the next day I'll be going to prison for the next. Only the Lord knew. Well, I want you to see what happened on my sentencing day, January 7th, 2010. I'm not sure if you heard the lyrics to the song. It was Isaiah 61. Out of the ashes, beauty can rise. Nobody saw that coming. On the very same day that I would be physically incarcerated was also the exact same day where I would be spiritually liberated. All of that guilt, all of that shame, all of that weight, the offense. When I walked into the courtroom, look at me. It was right that I was there for the crime I committed. The day was serving a purpose. The judicial purpose 
was to render a verdict of guilty as charged. And it was right. And when I thought about what occurred on sentencing day, I was soon taken out of the courtroom and obviously locked up for the next 55 months of my young life. I was 25 years of age at this time. And the Lord seared, sealed upon my heart a picture. I remember thinking about my sentencing day, how it was right to stand before a judge. And it dawned on me, one day, every man will stand before heaven's judge. And on that day, everyone is guilty as charged. None are righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all on that day, regardless of their resume, regardless of their good works, regardless of a folder filled with character references, regardless of the best lawyer in the world, able to articulate the law of God, every man is guilty and deserves the punishment of their sin. And that's a sad story if that's how it ended. The only way out is if a son decides to stand up. If a son decides to enter in. If a son decides to give forgiveness, which is that which the offender does not deserve. The Lord showed me that my entire sentencing day was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it lit a fire in my heart. I tell you the truth, brothers, regardless of that being my reality, that's an actual picture of me walking out of the prison visit hall after an interview because I was a pro soccer player and they were curious about what life was like behind the wall. There I lived, inmate 314525E. You would think that in hell on earth, People would say his life's over. But when you serve a God who is able to take the things that are all wrong, evil, and he's able to recycle them, that's the beautiful word of the gospel. He recycles and he brings forth beauty. Well, it became that place where I was on a honeymoon with Jesus. All that faith my family instilled in me, that foundation, I began to take it seriously. I began to own it. I say to all audiences, you need to own your faith. And I would get alone every day at a table, live with 37 other inmates beside myself. And every day when the lights would shine on, 6 a.m., all hell would break loose. Literally, guys would be arguing and fighting over a sink. 6.03 a.m., a fight breaks out. Guy gets a weapon, hits the other guy, blood's everywhere. And I'm like, if I wait until 6 a.m. to wake up, this place is going to swallow me. So I made up my heart and mind. I said, I'm going to wake up earlier than hell. And I'll roll out of my bunk bed at 5 a.m. and get on my knees on the concrete floor. And here's how I think about it now. Concrete beneath my knees, yet it felt like cotton because of Jesus's peace. And I would get to a table by myself and I would crack the word of God. And for the first time in my life, my Christianity came to life and I'm in the word and it's coming to life. And I'm seeing all these scriptures that I memorized when I was a youth coming out of me. Like Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of mockery. No, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. That man's like a tree planted by the rivers of water. His leaves do not wither. He is fruitful and whatever he does, God grants him favor. And here was my life in a couple verses. 
I was walking in the counsel of the ungodly. And at times I was the one giving ungodly counsel. That led me to standing in the path of sin. I was comfortable in the places of sin. I was comfortable around sin. And if you're walking with ungodly counsel, you will eventually stand and be comfortable around sin. And then ultimately you will find yourself seated in the seat of mockery, the position that says, you know what? I'm rebelling openly. That was me. And I wanted to reverse that. See, walking, standing, sitting. That's the way of the world. Reverse it and you find yourself sitting, standing, walking. See, I was sitting, not in the council of the ungodly. I was sitting in the seat of integrity. When I spent time in the word of God and the word of God began to change my soul from the inside out, that gave me the confidence to stand, but not in the path of sin, stand in the path of righteousness. And when walking with Jesus, regardless of where you're at, you then can find yourself giving godly counsel. You reverse the curse. And I became a tree. I want to be that tree in Isaiah 61, the tree of righteousness planted. I want to be fruitful, the spirit of God living inside of me so that the world can see what God looks like. Did you know that? The only way the world can see what God looks like is through your life, through your marriage, through your gifting. One way to influence the 37 men on my housing unit was to start a Bible study. How else? Right? They wouldn't come to church off the housing unit. Everybody had their own pocket of people. They hung out with birds of a feather. So I decided to plant myself at the center of the housing unit and invite people to the Bible study. Not the best thing to do to be popular in prison, but you know what? One about being popular is about being faithful. Hey, you want to come to a Bible study? Nah, man, I'm not weak like that. Want to come to a Bible study? Every day I'd ask everyone that walked by that table. Eventually one guy came. One turned to two. Two turned to four. Four turned to eight. Eight turned to 16. Eventually on a housing unit that had 38 men, over 30 were attending the Bible study on a daily basis. And what was remarkable is that God allowed me to discover that I had a gift. I thought I was gifted to play sports my whole life. And yet the Lord was like, I have a different gift that I've granted you. And I want you to steward for my glory. And it was teaching the word of God. And he began to teach Muslims and Jews and atheists coming to the Bible study. Many of them would ask questions. Some would be combative. One guy, his name was Little John. He took a liking to me. And I think he was only coming to the Bible study out of loyalty, not integrity. But I knew he was listening. Every day I'd teach a different topic and he'd ask, hey man, is that really in the Bible? And I'd say, yeah. I knew he's listening. I didn't know he was watching. How did I know he was watching? Well, he came up and told me, hey man, I've been watching you. Now, <laughs> let me help you. That is not something you want to hear from a guy like that in prison. That is little John. That's a 330 pound former mob enforcer for the Genovese crime family. Little John lives up here in Jersey City. Little John said, I've been watching you. And I was stunned. His next words, I'll never forget. I've been watching you. And I was hoping, he used the word hope. 
was hoping you would fail. I was hoping you would cuss. I was hoping you would laugh at an inappropriate joke. I was hoping you would take one of those flick books, inappropriate book in prison, and go into the bathroom with it. I was hoping you would do something because of that book you read every morning at that table so I can point at you like most people and say, you're nothing but a hypocrite. That's what he said. And he said, but you never gave me that opportunity. I was humbled. I said, John, I am a hypocrite. But what you're witnessing is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives inside of me. And the life that I'm now living in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and who gave his life for me. He probably had no idea I was quoting Galatians 2.20, clearly. But the point was, what he was witnessing and what he was wanting, I could not give him. By God's grace, he eventually began asking questions about the gospel. By God's grace, I watched a man who was hardened on the exterior and probably had a heart of stone eventually get touched by heaven. In the Bible study one day, he began weeping like a baby. I watched the Holy Spirit literally break this hard man's heart. He's crying. He asked, what happened? I said, the Lord is knocking on your heart. Will you answer? Let him in a prayer where he gave his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the best part. Little John was once a soldier for the Godfather. Today, little John is now a soldier for God the Father. I want to encourage some parents. You've planted a lot of seeds. And perhaps there are some, some children in your life because they'll always be your children, regardless how old they are. They might not be living for the Lord. They might be wayward. I believe my parents probably thought that of me, considering where their son was. But something my mom said to me when I was a youth came flooding back to me. Right after this encounter with John, I would be running out the door as a teenager onto the next thing. My mom would say, Matthew. And I would say, yes. She'd say, son, look at me. You may be the only Bible somebody reads. Okay, mom, see ya. And now I'm an inmate of the state. And that line from my mom comes back. She was right. There are some people that will never pick up the word of God. There are coworkers that will never pick up the Bible. But they're picking up what you're putting down. And your conduct and your example following Jesus is what they're witnessing. And sometimes that's what people need to see, our example. I could tell you story after story of God's amazing grace. Clearly, in the introduction, I always chuckle on the inside. I'm a pastor. I didn't go to seminary to be here. I obviously went a different route. I went to a cemetery to be here. And I mean no disrespect, but a seminary without Jesus is a cemetery. And a cemetery with Jesus becomes a seminary. I was released on August 3rd, 2014. Thankfully, my friend did not follow explicit instructions outside of the prison. It was the first time I would walk out on the other side of barbed wire fence. We're in a compound before the parking lot, and they were told, you are not allowed to take any pictures. You are not allowed to take out your phones. Well, my friend did, and I didn't know he did, and I'm thankful he did. Later on in the day, he sent me this picture. See, my parents and my brothers and my friend who picked me up 
They were walking towards the parking lot. They did not know that I had gotten on my hands and knees. And the reason I got on my hands and knees is because before I was released, I made up my mind that regardless of what it looks like on the other side of this prison, I'm going to get on my hands and knees and consecrate my future. And here's why I love this picture. Because the first picture I showed you of my pro soccer days, that's the one the world esteems. Wow. But this picture is the opposite. That's a convicted felon. But God doesn't see me as a convicted felon. He sees me in my conviction. That's a picture of brokenness. I want my heart to look like that every day. Humbled, surrendered. I'm a work in progress like all of us. Each day I have to recommit this newfound faith. God has been so gracious to me. You have no idea. The greatest gift of my life was granted to me through this tragedy was my wife. We got married four months after my release, November 8th of that same year. Every year for me, there's an anniversary, not my wedding anniversary. I try not to forget that one. Certainly do not forget this one. And the 15th year anniversary is approaching. It's March 7th. Listen, March 7th for me was that fatal night. The night I went out in Philadelphia. Like I said, that still echoes all these years later. I know I'm forgiven by God. My, my faith is built on that. You watched a video where I was given forgiveness from my victim's son. I believe that. There are times, however, where I have a hard time forgiving myself. The enemy loves when I think about what I did. Sometimes, like spiritual nausea, it rises up. Every March 7th seems to be that way, no matter how much time has passed. The only difference approaching the 12th year anniversary of that date was my wife was pregnant with our second child. We were due February 23rd. Everyone said the second child's going to come quicker than the first child. Body is already warmed up and used to it. February 23rd came. February 23rd went. Now, you already know, a woman in the third trimester passed her due date. Stay away. She wants that baby out of her yesterday. But February 24th turned to March 1st. Now we're a week late. March 1st to March 3rd. March 3rd to March 5th. March 5th to March 6th. Her water breaks. I take her to the hospital. It's 9.45 in the morning. She's laboring. Contractions are slowly picking up pace. I'm trying to be a diligent husband. I'm along the bedside and I'm rubbing her back. And she's saying, get away from me. So now I'm on the other side of the room. And she's saying, do you not care what I'm going through? Come back to me. And I'm like, all right, I don't know what to do. So I decided to sit and watch the clock on the wall. And it went from 9.45 to 12 noon to 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. to eventually 11.59 p.m. And I'll never forget it because it was a, a slow-moving clock. And I watched the hands of the clock hit 12 midnight and I had an Apple watch on at the time. And I turned and I looked at my Apple watch and the digital number six turned to the digital number seven. And it would just so happen to be out of all the dates on the calendar that on the same day that my hands recklessly took life became the same exact day that God ordained my hands to receive life. That's my son, Ezekiel, whose name means God is my strength. Actually, that's a random picture I found on Google image, but it works. No, no, it's, it's really him. You're like, 
is he, what is he in a, a bucket? It looks like he just came out the womb. And I'm like, he did. He did just come out the womb. But if you knew my wife, you would understand how this is possible. Less than 24 hours after the hospital, my outfit's already picked out on my bed. I'm like, why is my outfit on the bed? Oh, we're going to get family pictures. Oh, no, we're not going to get family pictures. Oh, yes, we are going to get family pictures. Oh, listen to me, sweetie. We just had a baby. We just had a baby. We're going to get family pictures. I'm not getting family pictures. It's not happening. No way. No how. Cheese. Well, that's my wife, Sarah, my son, Ezekiel, my daughter, Willow, at the time. That's an old picture. Here's a new one. My son will be three in March. My daughter will be five in May. I didn't catch his name. See, I don't want you to miss what I just said. God turned a death day into a birthday. And again, he showed himself out by telling me. See, every single person can have this testimony. If you come to Christ on the cross, that is a death day. If you believe Christ died for your sins on the cross, it becomes a birthday. And this is what it means to be born again. One of the greatest honors of my life, other than talking about the gospel, and showing you how this picture of Jesus laying down his life, God demonstrating his own love for us in that while we're in our sin, jacked up, messed up, far from God, that is when Christ died for us. There's also, of course, something that occurred last year. October, to be exact. Was invited to speak at a church in Philadelphia. The unique invitation, however, was preceded by a testimony from somebody in that congregation. The pastor, he introduced a young lady who's gonna tell us her testimony. And she got up and she began to talk about how she was far from God. And then somebody was responsible for taking her father's life. And then she talked about forgiveness. And then she talked about where she was in her Christianity, how that was what God used to bring her back to himself. Then the pastor got up and said, we want to invite our guest speaker up. His name's Matthew Mayer, and he's got a story to tell. And I got up and I said, I'm the guy that she just got done talking about. And we stood on stage together, telling our story, praying with each other. It was the first time I saw Somali since sentencing day. I most certainly have talked to the family since then on the phone, but due to restrictions of parole, was not able to see them face to face. This was the first time and oh, what a sweet reconciliation it was. Again, God showing us he's able to take ashes and make something beautiful from them. Can I show you something else? It's a very blurry picture, but you'll get the point. That's me to the left. I'm, of course, next to Somali. That is Mr. Hortcat's daughter, my victim's daughter. Next to her is her son and his girlfriend. And they just had their first child. The blonde is my wife. My wife is holding my victim's great-grandson. Do you understand what I'm saying, men? Our faith is real. Our God is real. And the world we live in is dying. 
And they need a risen Savior to salvage them. The gospel of Jesus Christ is able to penetrate any heart. Little John will testify. I will testify. Somali will testify. So yes, God has taken a broken vessel like me and has made much of himself. And for that, I am humbled. My name is Matthew Mayer, and I would rather stand alone with Jesus than sit in a large crowd without him. Thank you so much for your audience.